0: I'd like to welcome everyone to Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. Uh, We have been discussing, uh, in particular, treatment options, according to the American Society of Addiction Medicine, uh, for substance abuse or chemical dependency, uh, also known as, or most currently or presently known as uh, substance-related and addictive disorders. And specifically, we've been looking at Opioid use disorder. Uh, We've uh, gone through the American Psychiatric Association's diagnostic criterion, uh, discussed all the uh, criterion that goes into making the diagnosis, and then the American Society of Addiction Medicine affords us the opportunity to uh, match that diagnosis up to treatment based on uh, certainly it's a matrix of sorts, the level of care, but also uh, as we would look at the dimensions. Of need uh, from one to six, uh, one being intoxication withdrawal potential, two biomedical conditions, three emotional behavioral concerns, four readiness for change, five relapse and continued use potential, as well as six living environment. Uh, we've gone through the different levels of care beginning with point five which is early intervention, uh, one level 1 outpatient, level 1 opioid treatment program or medication assist treatment, Uh, level 2.1 intensive outpatient treatment, and uh, actually today we're going to uh, begin to look at level 2.5, which is partial hospitalization. Now, partial hospitalization really does not differ significantly significantly from an intensive outpatient treatment approach uh, or uh, programming. Uh, It is otherwise something that uh, has a scheduled dimension to it. There's a beginning and end, a check-in and a check-out time. Uh, With that, it is more than uh, once a week, which is the traditional outpatient model, uh, even with medication assist. Uh, It has much of the very same components, uh, with that being education as well as psychotherapy. Uh, And there's always a supportive dimension, too, as with individual, family, and group. The more supportive aspect of it would be group therapies. Uh, So when we look at, then, the level of care being 2.5, partial hospitalization, we're probably going to see pretty much the same in terms of intoxication withdrawal potential, which would be dimension one. There would be a minimal or a manageable sort of extent or degree of intoxication withdrawal potential that we anticipate if it needs to be done. It's uh, generally on the front end. It's a singular event uh, at this particular point or at this place in treatment. The person goes through it, uh, and once they're gone through it, then we really don't anticipate having to repeat that, uh, that the person is going to be able to, as long as they're in the level of care that we've assigned, as it would be appropriate to their need, as we would have determined that based on the diagnosis, that that individual is probably not going to uh, go and uh, put themselves, by using a substance, an illicit substance, or the illicit substance, put themselves back in a place of needing to go through or experiencing withdrawal. Likewise, on uh, dimension two, uh, when it comes to partial hospitalization, there is none or only mild biomedical conditions that complicate. Uh, The individual may also have biomedical conditions, uh, associated physical and health concerns, but that they're receiving adequate treatment for such. When it comes to dimension three, on an emotional, behavioral sort of uh, continuum, uh, or at least uh, consideration, there is likewise none or minimal uh, secondary diagnosis, dual diagnosis, and if there happens to be another psychiatric condition, a behavioral health concern that is either causative of or secondary to the use of the illicit substance. Uh, they are also receiving adequate behavioral health services. Dimension four, readiness for change. Uh, Again, intensive outpatient suggests that the person is not succeeding or has failed the earlier levels of care, which include early intervention and outpatient. So when it comes to readiness for change there is implicit in this level of care, if done properly, Uh, If you start with the least restrictive, the lesser level of care, by the time a person gets to intensive outpatient treatment, they are most uh, likely then having failed in need of something more. We established that at the last podcast or on the last podcast. Same thing with partial hospitalization. They're ambivalent or they lack a certain degree of awareness of the need, Uh, denial prevails, And there's a necessity then for additional support besides just what they would get in their home uh, or with only limited uh, availability of counseling or group sessions once a week. They require more intensive, uh, they require more sessions, more frequent sessions, number of sessions uh, in order to uh, support their change. Their stages of change. And what are they changing? They're changing their pattern of not only use of the illicit substance, but their ability to cope and manage stress. Change may also, as we've discussed in previous podcasts, include dimensions of development. Uh, if they have lost a certain degree of bodily functioning, developmental uh, maturity, if they've regressed... Uh, gone from being an adult to now acting more like an, an, a teenager or even a child. Uh, and I know that sounds very derogative and negative. I don't mean it that way. But, but for those of you who have family members or know someone who's using drugs, uh, they are very childlike in their orientation, very hedonic, emotional. Uh, they're reactive. They don't manage their emotions. Well, uh, they blame others, just a lot of childlike, immature sort of uh, behaviors, coping skills, thoughts, uh, which suggests once more <laughs> either they've never grown up, never accomplished the milestone, or have they? had they accomplished the milestone, if they have accomplished it, they're regressed. They've gone backwards. So for that, in that context, for that concern... Uh, the support for change would be actually to reestablish a higher level of functioning, developmentally, uh, operationally, uh, managing emotions, emotional regulation, uh, applying again empirical thought, problem solving, reasoning, development of social skills or psychosocial relationships, or reestablishment of supportive psychosocial relationships. With dimension five, relapse, continued use, there is the high risk that goes with intensive outpatient treatment that we also find in partial hospitalization. And when it comes to level six, uh, excuse me, dimension six, living environment, uh, the recovery environment is indeed not considered supportive or sufficiently supportive to maintain the sobriety. Uh, The person is capable, however, of some moderate, minimal to moderate degree of uh, coping that does not necessarily compromise their sobriety should they go home at night. Partial hospitalization, intensive outpatient treatment, does not include the aspect of residential, living, staying in an environment. Typically in the, uh, the world of uh, treatment and treatment programming, when you speak of residential, you're most commonly speaking to an extended stay where the person actually moves in, takes up residence for, again, an extended period of time in a treatment center or facility. Uh, but with that partial hospitalization or intensive outpatient treatment uh, can be rather uh, limited or uh, comparatively so. Uh, does not necessarily have to last as long or would not implicitly be seen as maybe having the same duration as a residential program. Uh, but at the same time, what we're really trying to chase down here is they, that the patient, they go home at night. Uh, they do not need to stay in the facility. So there's going to be some exposure and with that then some implicit risk because the environment uh, that they came from is presumably uh, presumed to be as dysfunctional potentially as the person's behavior has become. So if the person has found their life unmanageable, generally speaking, whoever's trying to manage them at home or assist at home has found it unmanageable as well. And uh, as the supports may or may not be at home, uh, the person that has the illicit substance use problem uh, is going to experience difficulties commensurate with either a higher level of functioning or lesser level of functioning at home. So it may be enough that they don't relapse, but it may not be much better. So a partial hospitalization or an intensive outpatient treatment program allows the person the, the great benefits of an inpatient treatment uh, without the additional uh, expenditure, uh, and there is a cost associated with housing someone uh, overnight, and there is also expenditure in terms of disrupting the person's lifestyle. Now, simply because you're in an intensive outpatient treatment program uh, or you're in a partial hospitalization level of care, 2.5, again, today's discussion on the podcast, Uh, on today's podcast, does not mean, however, that you don't have a job or that you don't have social obligations. There's many individuals who are progressed in their uh, uh, disorder, uh, uh, opioid, in this case, use disorder, who still work, (laughs) who still fulfill social obligations. Uh, Yes, their impairment is there. That's how we measure oftentimes is a primary even measurement of impairment. It goes into the American Psychiatric Association's diagnostics and criterion. But individuals can function, and there's always jobs that don't require as high a level of functioning as possibly the person previously has held or had or uh, as with in the past was capable of of, uh, performing Now they can't, but it may be enough to uh, sustain their basic, meet their basic needs for sustaining life, for living. And so in that way, the partial hospitalization may take place in the evening so the person can work or fulfill these obligations during the day. Uh, They're still a parent. They're still married. They still have family interactions. Those are other social responsibilities uh, that go along with life that the person may have, uh, even though compromised, they may still have obligation or engagement in. It could also take place, though, during the day uh, so that they can go home at night and, again, complete the social aspects, the marriage, the, the family dynamics, uh, complete, uh, fulfill those obligations. So, so partial hospitalization and a, and a uh, intensive outpatient treatment program Level 2.1 and 2.5 are very, very similar. Uh, if not the same, the partial would probably lock in five days a week. There's much more uh, latitude when it comes to intensive outpatient treatment. The partial is probably going to be for an ex- more extended number of hours over the course of that day, whereas with the intensive outpatient program, there's once more uh, additional latitude. It may be lesser, may not be as uh, restrictive, again, as with partial. But they're very much the same. They're very common in both the person goes home at night. So, and again, as much then partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient don't differ uh, all that much Then all that we've said in the last podcast about level 2.1, Uh, ASAM, American Society of Addiction Medicine, uh, matrix uh, level of care uh, we could say about the partial hospitalization in a like manner we could do the same thing for the next level of care which is 3.1 which is a halfway house again I tried to capture a few moments ago this idea of what it means to be in residential care and uh, Basically, 2.1 and 2.5, intensive outpatient treatment and partial hospitalization is really then not requiring of or intention for a person to take up residence in a program. Uh, The halfway house is. That level 3.1 then is a shift. There can be similar programming, may not be as much, could be, Uh, as intensive outpatient or partial hospitalization, likely will include some individual work as well as group work, can be more formal as with psychological counseling. Uh, The focus of word would be more toward that. Uh, However, it can be a little bit less in terms of uh, uh, meeting that kind of criterion or level of care uh, as a criterion. It does not have to be provided by uh, the participating core providers, psychologists, psychiatrists, licensed professional clinical counselors, social workers, as uh, would be with all the levels of care we've previously discussed on the podcast. Uh, But it's got some of the same intention. Uh, There's programming, there's intentions to improve coping, there's a supportive dimension to as well, Uh, Being in a halfway house, having others in recovery, the whole idea of sponsorship or encouraging recovery by others who are going through it in a similar way uh, is most prominently manifest, and and that can be of a great advantage, uh, again, if it's done properly. Last podcast we discussed that in terms of even a more professional context, how the providers themselves need to be in at least the same level, or hopefully when it comes to professional, they've gone through the recovery. In a halfway house, it's at least the same level. But if it's not, or for whatever reason, the persons around that individual in the halfway house are at a lesser level of functioning, they're going to obviously interfere with and possibly contaminate or corrupt that recovery that ability to get to not only a place of functioning they were formerly at, but we always want to move that as far as we can, assist them in in development, continued development, continued psychosocial development, continued growth in their ability to cope uh, and and adapt uh, without the use of illicit substances, to be able to also, again, participate in a supportive sort of way uh, not only with family members, maybe it includes, certainly, as with a halfway house, they're there to help others as much as others to help them uh, in, in their uh, recovery, but to give to the community, to be a contributor, to uh, uh, be at a point or eventually arrive at a point where they're assisting, and not just other addicts, but to be someone who assists and participates in society at all levels and dimensions, as with being able to generate help, to be able to, again, contribute, whether it's working, whether it's, again, in some community way, uh, to the betterment or advancement of community and society and social relations and, and all the things that otherwise we know would be indicative of that ultimate highest level of adaptive functioning that uh, either individually or as a society, we could aspire to or attain. A halfway house, really, in that way, is a micro-society. It's a smaller version, hopefully, of the larger society. As one then gets a chance to learn to do that with additional support and assistance in the micro-society, then it would make sense... It would be more generalizable or could be generalized better to the larger context. And, and it is adding dimension to dimension or layer to layer uh, individually uh, within your small community, uh, whether it's family or, or now we're talking about recovery community uh, and extending that as one then either maintains advances or re-engages in integration into uh, the community at large outside of the halfway house, uh, which would have in and of itself, again, layer upon layer, uh, would have in and of itself different uh, communities, causes, reasons people congregate, but all of those would begin to show the hallmark of, again, a more adaptive functioning emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, uh, with this ability to connect and to maintain appropriate connections, uh, to give as much as receive in terms of of investments uh, in uh, one's life and quality of life issues. If we looked at, again, everyone is probably somewhat familiar with Abraham Maslow or Maslow's Hierarchy. Beyond just meeting the basic needs for survival as humans advance, as we develop, as our cultures develop, as we as individuals develop, our aspirations become greater, uh, more other-directed rather than selfish. But with the hierarchy, there's more on the bottom than there are on the top because not everyone attains that. But somewhere between the pinnacle and the base... Broadest number on the base, more primary sort of, I've got to eat, sleep, take care of the basic needs, to the pinnacle, which is really a generosity that's almost selfless or sacrificial, somebody, all of us, will fall. (laughs) You're going to find, everyone will find a place. Uh, And uh, with that, hopefully, as much as that captures that notion of continued development or aspiration, we still want to keep trying, but not all of us will get to the point of being self-actualized, which is the whole principle of Maslow's hierarchy. Seems a little bit counterintuitive. Selfishness is more on the bottom, uh, sacrificial or other-directed sort of in, intentions or behaviors on the top. But self-actualization is always equated to helping others. Uh, and once more, that's the, that can be said for. Uh, recovery community or industry in general, and even within the psychological counseling context, the more professional aspects of it, as you've gained it, as you have studied it, as you've applied it, as you've integrated it, you then are intentioned to share it with other people. Uh, And again, no place is more obvious than in a halfway house, where individuals are attempting to help one another to do better, to apply and supply additional supports as would be necessary to be there when something comes up in the way of risk along uh, these, again, dimensions of uh, intoxication. One, intoxication withdrawal, biomedical conditions, Uh, Number two, number three, emotional behavioral, four, readiness for change, five, relapse continued use risk, and six, living environment. We're there to assist, so none of those dimensions create or serve as a trigger for relapse, and as much as that extra support is there as with residential care, then we're immediately there. If, if we could become part of that, I'm speaking as with a person who lives in that environment, but even as, our, as a listener, myself included, if we could put ourselves, insert ourselves in that situation, we do that for one another. We just don't live in a halfway house. But there's plenty of opportunities when, for family and friends, we support one another. We might even do that for those individuals who are not necessarily in the categories of family and friends. They may be co-workers. They may even be the people we work for. They may be someone we don't even know, and maybe that's the highest manifestation. We call it altruism, but that ability to be so selfless, so generative, so giving, we may not even see any additional benefit that comes back to us besides the fact that this is the evidence that we've gotten there, but we're not expecting anything in return. And in that way, it is as close to unconditional sort of giving or love as is humanly available, uh, manifest, shown, witnessed. So a halfway house has tremendous benefits attached to it. Uh, if you're living in the house, that's the benefit. It's a resource that is there, that you come home to even every day. And once more, if with uh, intensive outpatient or partial hospitalization, a determination is made that even the minimal amount of time the residents, ho- your home residents that you come home to every day can't support it, then it is definitely a better option than going home and in that then risking relapse or actually relapsing using the substance again which basically causes you to start all over uh, and what you have gained you don't entirely lose but you do end up going back to fairly close to the point the place of beginning to at least have to Go over it all again, reestablish certainly your sobriety, go through withdrawal, as much that may manifest itself depending on how long the relapse or the lapse uh, lasts, endures, continues, but you'll have to sort of work back through all the stages. Uh, And with that, then coming home or making your home a halfway house, a residential facility, you don't have that to be concerned with. So on these different dimensions, the intoxication withdrawal potential, again is minimal or manageable in one withdrawal, as we said of uh, intensive outpatient treatment, uh, outpatient treatment, partial hospitalization. The biomedical conditions are likewise none or mild, or if there are any, The individual, the patient, the person in the halfway house is receiving adequate medical services. The same applies for the emotional and behavioral dimension three, the receiving adequate behavioral health services if needed at all. uh, Dimension four, readiness for change. The person is in the case of a halfway house, however, more open to the recovery but the requirement for support remains, as we've described it already. Uh, The openness to recovery, though, sort of again captures that notion that we're moving from a more formal, professional orientation uh, of intensive outpatient treatment, partial hospitalization, even outpatient early intervention, to one where the responsibility is shifting from someone else, again, imposing some degree of restriction. Uh, and, and outpatient, in that sense, is very similar to halfway house. But certainly when it comes to intensive outpatient treatment and partial hospitalization, we're back to the notion that the person, albeit they need that extra level of residential, extra level support that residential brings, Nonetheless, we see them as more open to recovery. They're ready. They're motivated. Dimension four, readiness to change, is established. There's a cause and a reason. They're no longer in such a state of denial that they recognize either by virtue of the bad things that have happened or the hope for the better things that will happen. In that, maybe because of both of those, the person is motivated or open to continuing the recovery process. Dimension five, the relapse or continued use risk. There's a need for ongoing support when it comes to level 3.1, level of care 3.1, American Society of Addiction Medicine, halfway house. But the individual is not at such a high risk as with intensive or partial, intensive outpatient or partial hospitalization. They need ongoing support to act on skills and knowledge, presumably already acquired. Now, there's no reason necessarily that admission to a halfway house always has to be preceded by uh, any of the former or prior level of cares. Former as with those that the person has gone through up to that point. But it does correlate, I'm sure, with success, and probably to some extent it is an obvious conclusion to draw that you're not going to succeed in a halfway house unless you've got your house in order, no pun intended, as with accomplishing the basics of either outpatient opioid treatment program, if applicable, medication-assist treatment, intensive outpatient treatment, or partial hospitalization. Because until you've gone through all of that, there is some stability, there is a higher level of functioning already attained, there is some uh, reestablishment of not only operational systems functioning, adaptive functioning, operational bodily so... Uh, socioeconomically and psychosocially, the person has at least some uh, resources reestablished for the emotional as well as the material supports necessary, a halfway house is not going to work. It's really in this way very much like living on your own in that sense, but with the added benefit of a safety net. Again, this additional level of support. And it also is a great transition, particularly if the person, it's the conclusion or the determination has been made, the person cannot return to the former residence because of either illicit substance use there, codependency there, such maladaptive functioning measured either way in that residential uh, element they need to then find a place of their own, a place where they are going to live independently. Uh, For all of us who remember when we first moved out on our own, that can be challenging. You have to learn or relearn a lot of things. And that includes, you have to learn how to make those decisions without being under the influence which may mean that you've regressed so far, you've lost the ability to do that, or it was so compromised by your drug use, the substance, illicit substance use, that it's hard to even function without it. Because, again, there's a certain measure of stress that goes along with it, uh, living life, living independently, that will certainly represent a potential trigger for a relapse. So a halfway house is a safety net. It's a supportive, safety, safe environment. It's really not a bubble, but it's got some of that dimension of insulation from all that goes into um, it living independently. And might I add this. Once all your friends, who used to be your friends, who really weren't your friends, who just were really individuals, that would use with you, including your drug dealer, once they discover where you're living, they all have, we always have a way of finding you and showing up at your door. So you have to be strong enough to not open it, not to let them in your house. A halfway house makes it uh, easier, I should say. Maybe not easier, gives you the ability to say no because other folks aren't going to let them in. Uh, And the people who are there running the halfway house, the programs, the the program component are going to be there to assist as well. So the level, or excuse me, the dimension six, level of care 3.1 of a halfway house, captures that there is a risk for um, relapse, as I've just described it, that would go along with independent living. But even if so, not as great, still some. So it gives you that ability to do it on your own if you're a patient, but not entirely on your own. You always have that other level or additional level of care, support there. And there is with that, the best friend of all addicts and probably anyone who is uh, struggling with behavioral health concerns, halfway houses help to structure your life. It is enough to endure the chaos that prolonged drug use, illicit substance use, abuse and dependence brings more so The wreck that it makes of your family life, your social relationships, even the complete sellout of the healthier, the better relationships, those who really love you, for all the people that are no better than maybe you are functioning at that time and really only out to get what they can get, and some who really don't care about you, just the fact that you can help them either... To accomplish the end of getting drugs or staying alive and sometimes you do need an accomplice to stay alive especially if you're prone to overdosing but at the same time what we really want though is we really want that individual to recognize that the structure that a halfway house gives them helps them to make order and possibly even does again some of that outside influence other directed sort of influence it allows someone else to assist with the order when they themselves in a moment while they're transitioning while they're taking on or assuming more responsibilities while they're progressing they might trip up along the way not to the point of relapse but lose a bit of control of a particular thing or risk that, whereas you've got somebody there to cover your back who really is your friend. Maybe they don't love you like a friend would or a family member should, but they care enough about you and they know that they need you there in the same way, they'll step up and maintain that structure for you. It's good to know everybody gets up at a certain hour it's good to know everybody eats at certain times. It's of great benefit that there is some encouragement to go to bed at a certain hour, that there's a healthier lifestyle that replaces, again, the certainly maladaptive and unhealthy lifestyle that goes along with substance abuse and chemical dependency. As with active phase, as with continuing to progress or uh, regress into the abyss, the hole that that represents. So a halfway house, level 3.1, is more than partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient treatment. And it should follow, if possible then, successful outcomes that result from outpatient, intensive outpatient, or partial hospitalizations. But should there be even more need, and should a person not be appropriate then, based on the American Society of Addiction Medicine, the matrix, level of care, by uh, dimensions of uh, certainly consideration or factors that go into recovery, the individual actually may need residential treatment which is, again, more restrictive. We'll get into that in our next podcast. But at the same time, though, uh, it has, as was with partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient treatment, some of the same core components of the halfway house. That is level 3.5. And then there is also, as we finish up, the ASAM levels of care, across the dimensions that go into success, uh, successful intervention, treatment, recovery, success in terms of overcoming one's uh, addiction or at least immediate vulnerability to using illicit substances, uh, their continued growth and development, maturation, adaptability. There is also inpatient treatment that we will eventually take a look at. So once more, in quick summary we're still moving along the ASAM levels of care. We're, again, looking at all the dimensions that go into success. Halfway houses, partial hospitalization, halfway houses represent additional levels, but they also are sort of a niche where a person can fit in. And as always, this should take into consideration the individual dynamic the personal dynamic, all these should be individualized. This gives us a template, but we should always factor in the uniqueness of the individual to know where they are and then make our best approximations as to where they should be placed for maximum benefit and the potential, the potential to have success Not to continue to progress, not to continue to worsen, and very basically that means not continue to use an illicit substance or go through this sort of recycling, this cycle of uh, I'm going to stop, I can only stop for a while, I end up relapsing, I have to start over. It's a terrible cycle. But it happens. This can arrest it. And it supplies the ASAM criterion. The matrix can be so helpful in arresting that so that we then have a chance to make sure that we are providing the best care continually throughout that person's recovery or stages of change or stages of recovery or discontinuation of all the patterns of misbehavior, negative, irrational thinking that goes into being an addict, a illicit substance user. So, once again, I'd like to invite you to join me on the next podcast so we can get into these other levels of care. But as much as I bring to closure today's podcast, I just want to remind you, I'm here to help. The email address is always there. Email me. Be glad to offer any information I can. Want to be of support to you if you're an addict, but also to those of you who know someone who's addicted, friend or family, and care about them. We can overcome addictions. These are the primary tools. Knowing all of this empowers once more you to make the best decisions, which are, in effect, critical decisions, not that critical in the sense that you won't get another chance, but the chances become less frequent, less in number, and the risk factors do tend to intensify the more that we make bad choices, the further we progress along the continuum from abuse to dependence or, as again We now recognize it to be a substance-related and addictive disorder when we move from the category or the subcategory, a mild, moderate to severe, as far as as the course of the disorder is concerned. Uh, On the end of that, there is destruction. It could be death when it comes to the substance, particularly opiates. It can be death. And we all know of overdosing, we might all know someone who has, and the real tragedy implicit to that. So, use the information to your benefit, but also continue to tune in to the podcast, as they say, and uh, we'll continue to empower you with this information, this knowledge. So, until I get a chance to uh, present again, meet with you again, so to speak, Uh, I want to thank you for joining us today on Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. Thank you.